Hey, welcome to the Mind Your Health Podcast. I'm so glad you can join us. I'm your host, Dr. Mina Merholm. I'm a board-certified psychiatrist and an assistant professor of clinical psychiatry in Columbia University. I'll be speaking with some of the leading experts in mental health around the world to learn how we can incorporate principles of lifestyle changes, our faith, as well as some of the leading innovations in mental health to learn how we can live happier and more fulfilled lives. And hopefully we'll have some fun along the way. I hope this inspires you and encourages you to mind your health. So welcome everyone back to the Mind Your Health podcast. I'm so glad you could tune in today. I am so delighted to have an amazing guest that I've looked up to for some time and have read your material. And uh, I'm just so excited to kind of dig into your book today. We have Dr. Heather Thomas Day, who is an Associate Professor of Communications at Colorado Christian University and an interdenominational speaker and contributor for uh, Religion uh, News Service, Newsweek, Barna Group. She runs an online community called I'm That Wife and is the author of six books, including Confessions of Christian Wife, How to Feed a Media Vore, uh, and the latest book that we're going to be talking about today, which is It's Not Your Turn. She resides in Littleton, Colorado with her husband and three children. Welcome, Dr. Day. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. So I, I really appreciate kind of the, the perspective. And in addition to kind of the title here in the, in the intro, I also love your podcast, the Viral Jesus Podcast. Oh, yay! Awesome. So um, I wanted to just chat with you for a little bit. And before maybe we dive into the book that I hope folks can pick up, I have my sort of virtual copy of me today. That's, uh, <laughs> that's what I'll be reading from. I wanted to just ask you kind of what prompted you to get into this particular topic? Why, why did you want to write this book, you know, from the latest uh, several books that you've written before? Mina, I did not want to write this book. <laughs> I lived it. Uh-huh. I lived this book. And so then I had no choice but to write it. It was about a seven year season. Mm. If seasons can go seven years for me, it did where I just felt like doors were not opening for me in the way mm-hmm. that I had hoped they would. I had envisioned them to, um, I could not get a job in academia to save my life. And I was applying everywhere. Anybody who works in academia knows I was adjuncting everywhere. Adjuncts make very little money for doing a lot of work. And it was just super discouraging. And Mm -hmm. I had felt like I was somebody who never took a summer off in school. I graduated high school in 2005. And so I went to college in 2005 and I never took a summer off until not even like through 2017 when I finished my PhD. So I had felt like I did all the right things. And I was just under this idea or this misassumption that if you do the right things, good things will just happen to you and doors will just open for you. And that wasn't my story. So I did all the right things and things weren't opening. And I was so poor at this time that my sister was literally dropping off diapers on my doorstep for my kids and pretending it wasn't her. And at the same time, I got a call from one of my best friends. And she called and just was like, Hey, by the way, she did not take the same path as me. She did not have the same clear cut educational journey. Mm -hmm. And she called and said, you're not going to believe it. And I was like, what? She was like, I just got hired by NASA. And I was like, wow, (laughs) that is is great. Wow. You right. I'm so happy for you. And I was happy for her. I was just also incredibly sad for myself. And Mm -hmm. that was the first time that I felt like the Holy spirit whispered in my ear and said, Heather, it's not your turn, Mm -hmm. but it's hers. So show up. The fact that you're, you're living it, I think and sometimes that's, that's one of the great things about books. Some folks will kind of sit down and sort of pontificate like, Oh, what's my next awesome title to work on? And Sometimes it sort of flows out of you, right? Out of your life. Yeah. And I'll tell you, as a psychiatrist, one of the most common things that I see every day 
is folks coming in with this like worry of feeling like how come stuff is not happening for me the same way it happens for everybody else on Instagram. Right, like right. right. Through my newsfeed and everybody's happy. How come this not me? Why is it not my turn? So I'm, I'm curious for you, if you sort of dig in a little bit into your journey here. What did you learn about this idea of it's not your turn? Like, why is waiting something that is important? Like one of the quotes that I love kind of in, in the beginning from your spiritual advisor there who said, what if you'll get where you're trying to get to quicker by slowing down? And I thought that was like an awesome like paradigm shift. So I'm just curious kind of as we dive in, like what was the beginning of the unpacking of this journey of like of the waiting season? What was that like for you? What did you kind of learn? I think, I guess what I got to, and it wasn't that I learned this immediately. I would say as I went down the seven year journey, mm. I eventually got to a place. And I definitely, I think in the beginning went through this phase where I said, I don't even want to hope anymore. I don't mm. even want things anymore. It's mm. just painful to even go there. So I'm just going to like focus and live my life. And then I got to this moment in the journey where I said, I don't want my idea of what things should be in the future to prevent me from showing up right here, because Mm. there's a great possibility, Heather, that the most you're ever going to do is be an adjunct. Mm. And so how do you, how do you look at this and say, what an honor Mm. and how do you show up for your students and say, this is my privilege to serve you and walk through life with you as an adjunct, because right now that's all you have. And so I just started living that way where I said, I'm going to teach this class as if it's the most important thing I will ever do in my entire life. And as I started living that way, I can't describe it to you. And I wish that there was some formula, but it changed me. Mm. It it just, it eventually, I have gotten to a place now and here's, I want to say this too, for anybody who's watching and is like, oh, and, and then eventually it becomes your turn. I still in a lot of ways, and this book has been super successful, so I don't want to downplay that. And it has, and I'm super grateful, but what happens when you reach the success that you thought you deserved, all that Mm. happens is you move the goalposts. Right. Right. And then you want more. (laughs) That's what happens. And then you look at, and you meet other more successful people than you. And you say, okay, but now if I was just like them, that's all that happens. So eventually you have to come to this place where you just decide I'm going to live my life like it matters because it, it honestly does. And as you start engaging with life, like it matters, you'll realize how much it does, because if you're lucky, people will circle back for you. And that's, I'm a teacher. So I think I'm really privileged in the sense that I get to meet about 200 new students every semester who then will circle back and say, oh my, that class changed my life. I get messages from students every single day. that I've taught 10 years ago while I was an adjunct and thinking it's not my turn. I get messages. I just got one last night from a girl that said that class was the best class of my entire life. And it changed my entire, the way I see myself to this day, it changes how Mm -hmm. I interact with people to this day. And that was while I was sure it was not my turn. Right. So when we start showing up to our life, like it matters, eventually my hope is that you start to realize it does because it matters to the person that you're enacting with in that moment. I mean, that's, that's really powerful. I, I would imagine like as you're interacting with students who oftentimes, if you're a student, whatever level you're in, whether it's college or graduate school or whatever, there is this inherent idea that your life is pretty much on hold until yes. whatever, right? Until you get that job, until you get that whatever title. And I'll tell you for people in, in the healthcare field, that's the same idea. That your whole life waits until you've got all the credentials and then you can begin your life. And throughout that whole time, you just miss all these experiences or you miss kind of the importance of the faithfulness of that moment. That's kind of what yeah. I'm, I'm wondering if you could unpack that more. Like 
And let's say a student you're, you're working with is saying, you know, I want to learn to value today like it matters or, or show up. Today. How do you guide someone through actually showing up today and not waiting just for tomorrow? For me, and I teach communication, so my bias is always towards people and the way we interact with them. Mm. But for me, that looks like when I have a conversation, treating that person as if they matter Mm. and not mailing it in. I don't have the luxury anymore because I've had so many people circle back at this point in my life. I don't have the luxury anymore of jumping on a podcast interview and thinking, okay, let me just get through this. I don't do that. Everything I do, I believe God has called me to, and that's part of my Christian bias, right. And way of thinking, but I walk in rooms now as if I was anointed to be there. Wow. And I tell my students, I just had this conversation today. I'm teaching a social media class right now. And I said to my (laughs) students, you know, we're talking about Christianity online and all this stuff that I think has happened in the last few years where people are really hesitant and Christian can be a red flag for a lot of people. And I'm saying to my students, You think when somebody thinks of the church, they're not thinking of you Mm. there. I guarantee you, there is somebody on your follower list right now who, when they think of Jesus, when they think of faith, when they think of the church, it is your profile that they're thinking of. Mm. And so how are you rising to, how do you live a life that is worthy of the gospel? How do you rise Mm. to that occasion? How are you faithful to the Lord with what he has put in your hand? And I lived a lot of my life looking at what he hadn't put in my hand, right. And feeling resentful or all these other emotions that, because I was waiting for when my turn would come. And all the while, I think for me, God was saying, it's always your turn. Uh It is always your turn to be a person of integrity. It is always your turn when somebody says, Hey, I'm going to share something with you in confidence that I'm asking you not to share that. I then take that and say, yes. Let me not share this with somebody else. Let me stand before you as another human being with integrity and say, you have my word. This won't leave this conversation. This won't leave this room. We need more people to show up to life that way, because here's what I've discovered. At least this is my own personal experience. When people say God showed up for them, it is not necessarily God. It is you. Mm. When people say God heard my prayer. It is not necessarily that the heavens parted and God became flesh and started walking and said, Hey, I heard you. It's that Heather entered a classroom and felt the nudge of the Holy spirit. And then was faithful to that nudge and said to them, Hey, can you stay back after class? Mm. I want to talk to you. Right. And now they walk out of my classroom saying, I felt seen by God. It wasn't God. It was me. Right. We co-labor with God. We are always working with God. But I'm saying the reality is the human being has a role to play in every single day period. I walk into even the mechanic in my town that I'm in. I just moved. I I actually, I'm not at Colorado Christian anymore. I'm at Andrews university, Um, but I teach a class for Colorado Christian. I'm teaching social media for them still. So, but I just moved to Michigan. And if you were to go to the mechanic shop where I live right now in Michigan, you would see their wall filled with cards of people saying, thank you so much for doing the work on my car for an honest price. And I stand and I look at that wall and I'd say all these people who would usually be like, oh, but how can God use me? I'm just a mechanic. Well, I can show you a mechanic shop in my town filled Mm. with cards of people saying that God used you. Wow. Right. So we have a responsibility to be honest people, to be trustworthy people, to be people of integrity as we go through life. And so that's what it looks like when you see somebody sitting by themselves in the cafeteria. I tell my students, go sit next to them. Mm. have a conversation, put your phone down, 
when you're walking across, you know what I mean? Like there's right, really right. easy, simple ways right. to show up to your life. It doesn't always have to be some, you know, now you have $2,000 and you're going to give it to somebody. It's just showing up. If you notice somebody, I bring coffee for my coworker. Mm. That's it. But it matters, right? Because no, now she feels yeah. safer at work because I gave her right. a coffee in the morning. Right. No, you're totally right. I mean, it sounds like it's it's not always complex, but it is intentional. But it is something Yes. That- it's something that if we look for it, we'll find it. It's not something that is elusive. It's but like you're saying, we're, we've sort of been conditioned sort of out of, right? Is that our phone is tattooed to our forehead, right? We don't really see what's in front of us, whether it's the person in front of us. It's so hard sometimes to just be present in that moment with another human being that just like you're saying, if we were to be present for a second, it's kind of like, whoa, this is cool. Oh my God. Someone's listening. This is absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And as we, in your examples, whether it's in a mechanic or someone as a student or any other sort of area of their life, it sounds like it's less and less contingent upon their title or position and more so just about the mindset, right? That's kind of what I'm hearing from you. Yeah. I think it's just walking with integrity. There's this great quote that Martin Luther King Jr. says, and he was, it was one of his last talks actually, where he was speaking at a high school graduation And he says to them, if all you ever do when you leave here is be a street sweeper, Mm -hmm, I -hmm. want you to sweep those streets with so much passion, with so much integrity, with so much intentionality that all of heaven has to stop and say, oh my goodness, look at this street sweeper. Right. And so that's how I want to live my life. Mm. And I have found, and this is for me, I'm not saying that this is the right formula. I don't want to make people think if you do X, Y, and Z, you're going to end up here. I have found for myself that I became a more fulfilled person. Mm. Nothing changed. I am still doing the same type of work I have done for the last 10 years. I did eventually get a job. So I got hired eventually, right? So I'm on payroll, but I'm doing the same work. I'm teaching the same type of kids. Nothing changed drastically, but everything changed internally in the way Mm. I showed up. And then what started to happen for me is that as I was faithful to those experiences, other opportunities started to come. Mm. Yeah. And I think as, as you were saying in the book too, like your faithfulness in those experiences and kind of learning more about yourself, it sounds like you also began to see God different. Like you speak about kind of re-envisioning or, you know, just yeah. seeing God in, in a different way. Can you speak a little bit about that? Why is it that we sometimes need to, as we learn about ourselves and we learn, like the scripture says, kind of godliness with contentment is great gain. Like there's something about knowing what's in front of you and not just you know, what's going to be coming ahead. When you speak about re-envisioning God or kind of seeing God differently, can you speak to a little bit more about what you mean by that? Yeah. I mean that statistically 72% of Christians see God as angry. 72% of Christians see God as angry, judgmental, critical, and distant. Um, And this is from the book, how God changes the brain. It's written Mm. by, I know one is Andrew Newberg and um, I can't, I'm forgetting the other author's name, but they're two Christian, actually they're not Christian. They're two non-Christian neuroscientists that just wanted to study how faith changes the brain. So that was super fascinating to me because we say God is love and yet we don't believe it. I also felt very seen because I had Uh lived a lot of my life saying Mm. or singing the right words. But when I messed up, when I sinned, when I did not walk with integrity, I just felt like, okay, now God's going to get me. Mm. 
right? Like now it's going to confirm to him that I wasn't who I said I was. And he's going to take away whatever it was he was going to do with me. Like I've messed it up and he can't use me anymore. All this stuff. Right. What they found and how God changes the brain is that the God you believe in is the God you become. So when we believe and when we worship an angry, critical, distant, judgmental God, we become angry, critical, judgmental Christians. Why aren't people coming to our churches? Why? I don't know. Right. And so for me, I think the first place that we have to start is just who is God. Mm -hmm. And so something that I do for meditation for myself, when I'm in a darker season, which I am in right now, you don't graduate Mm -hmm. from feeling like it's not your turn. When Mm -hmm. I'm in a darker season, I will just go on a walk and they'll say, who do I know God to be? And what Mm -hmm. were the experiences that taught me that? Mm -hmm. And then I'll just, I'll say, I'm out loud. Okay. Well, I saw you in this space of my life. And I remind myself of who he's been in the past. When I can't look forward, I always look back and I say, who was he for me then? Is it possible that it's the same God right now? That's going to show up for you right now. That's like, that reminds me kind of of the passage of the, you know, in Joshua, the more memorial stones, right. Where God says, you got to pick up these things to remember what I've kind of led you through. Cause in the moment, for sure, you're going to reinvent God. And I imagine if 72% of Christians see God as an angry God, I wonder how many non-Christians see God as you know, not just angry, but just really coming for you all day, every day. You know, right. it's the last thing I want is to somebody just after me. And I remember reading actually a, a journal study that, that said that if, if you're going to surgery and you believe that God hates you, punishing you, or something that's kind of directly, viscerally against you from God, it increases your mortality it increases the chance that you're not going to do well in surgery. Like this feeling is not only is it spiritually not healthy, but it's physically not healthy too, which I thought was like super interesting. So this takes and do, a you want, do you want to know what I found? I have found that God really does bring so much grace mm. and love. I still have moments where I'll see, you know, my friend's book go straight to the New York times bestsellers list. And I'm like, really? <laughs> Like, hello, I'm right here. Got it. Here I am still faithful. Right. And then I realized, oh, I'm jealous. Mm. That's the emotion that I'm experiencing. And I have not felt condemnation from Christ in those moments anymore. Mm. As I've changed my picture of who he is, whereas before I would have felt like he's going to get me. You're never going to get, you have just confirmed that you are this evil, awful person, Heather. Now I just feel like God says, Heather, I'm not asking you to be a perfect person. I'm asking you to be in a relationship with me, period. Mm. So when you're ready. We're going to get back up. A scripture says a righteous man falls down seven times and gets up eight. It says the wicked fall once. So in the case of righteous versus wicked, who falls more? Mm. The righteous man. The difference is a righteous man says, oh man, I feel horrible that I did that. God help me not to do that. I'm going to get Mm. back up. And then God says, great. (laughs) Let's continue on in the relationship. God does not demand our righteousness. He provides our righteousness. So that's the first place. Now, when I feel those dark emotions that I don't want, because it's not going to better connect me to my fellow man, I go straight to God now Mm. where I would have avoided him. Now I go straight to him and I'm like, Oh, I'm doing it again. Please. I don't want to feel this way. Lord, please fill me with more of yourself and empty me of myself so that I'm not Mm. still doing this. And he says, okay. I mean, that's beautiful, but it sounds like you, it is, for, for, but for you to have sort of the, the self-awareness to be able to say, you know what, I got to come back to God. I'm not going to avoid him, right? I got to recalibrate the relationship. There's a moment that I'm starting to see God differently, starting to see him as things that, no, this is not what my experience showed me. I'm going to bring back and sort of reorient this to what it really needs to be. I think often, so we can sort of fall into this trap of 
if we feel something about God, that God is angry or vengeful or whatever, we kind of go with it. And then we avoid more and more instead of what you're saying, which is just come back to him and we just we see more of his grace and not his retribution. And then it becomes very difficult to not offer that to other people. Mm. The more I've received it, the easier it's become for me to give it to other people. Mm. And grace always belongs to people who don't deserve it. That's why it's grace. Mm. That's beautiful. The only way we can really offer it to others is if we're receiving it as well. The more outpouring right. we're receiving, the more we can kind of share it with others. And one of the things that you talked about as well, kind of in the same vein, is that sometimes to be able to get ourselves to go through this kind of healthy process, right? To like where we're receiving for God and from God and giving it to others. Sometimes we have to be able to set a goal and also start in a small way. You know, can you speak a little bit to how you guide people through that process too? Yeah. So the first thing I want to say is the literal definition of a goal is the object of a person's effort. I Mm. think a lot of times we just say like, oh, these are my goals. And we think that that's it, (laughs) that there's no effort that now is going to go behind them. You can't just say, this is a goal. You have something I ask myself is what is something I'm going to do six months from now? to keep Mm. working towards this goal? What is something Mm. I'm going to do one month from now to keep working to this goal? And what is something I can do today? Mm. So what are three action steps that I can do six months from now, one month from now, and today that will keep me moving towards my goal. And something that I think is really important is to be clear on what your goals are. I'm going to give you an example. My husband is trying to lose weight. He packed on some pounds in COVID as a lot of us did. And so, Yeah. yeah, right. So his goal right now is just to say, I'm going to go stand in the gym, stand. Right. Right. Like so he, he, his goal is that for one hour for him, he's going every day for one hour, every day, if all he does is stand and look around, that's what he's going to do. But the goal is to just get in there. What has happened is as he's in there, he's like, okay, I'm going to work out a little bit. Okay. Right. So be clear with yourself on what your goals right. are. Cause sometimes we'll do things that feel so big that now it's, I don't even know where to start. So right. sometimes if it's to lose weight, it's like, the goal maybe is just to put on your shoes. Mm. When I get home from work, I'm going to make sure I put on my sneakers and I'm going to see what happens next. Mm. Right. So let's start small and see how that triggers our brain to keep moving forward. For me, what I talked about in the book was that I wanted to be published from a more academic source. I had been writing a lot of inspirational type blog things up until this point, devotionals, but I hadn't been published in an academic way. And so that was my goal. I finished my PhD. My goal was to just pitch, Mm. right? So my eventual goal was to get published maybe six months from now. But what does that look like today? That looks like writing a query letter and making the pitch. And so even when I'm rejected, I'm still meeting the goal because I pitched. Right, right. And I'm just, I'm a total optimist. So I'll say that too. That's my bias. I tend to live in a space of hope. I don't know how else to go through life without hope. So for me, I just believe if I pitch, every week for the next five years, I don't think it's even possible. There's 52 weeks in a year. I don't think it's even possible that five years from now, I won't get picked up. Hmm. But even in and of itself, I mean, I, I love your approach there because it, it sort of builds on the fact that there's something achievable that you're going to be able to do that you'll be able to say, yes, I'm sticking to something and I am kind of getting it done. And having that part be something that's like manageable and measurable and not something that's overwhelming, yes. right? Because we, we always think sometimes of, just the end, not the kind of the goals in between, maybe like the mini goals of uh, to get to the ultimate goal. So I, I really love that. And I was wondering too, let's say when you're working with someone through sort of a behavioral goal, 
Like if someone, you know, one of the students is thinking about the comparison on social media, right? I know you were just talking about social media today and they want to do that less, right? How, how do you kind of walk through someone, you know, walk with someone through that idea of, okay, here's my goal is to, you know, there were all these studies that were coming out. Facebook was under, you know, they're in the hot water because they knew the Instagram was getting to us. So we always kind of knew all together all along anyway. Um, but as someone who's kind of navigating that, how do you kind of walk them through that social media space and not letting them get too impacted by it in a negative way? I mean, especially when it comes to social media, good luck. <laughs> because it's, I mean, the system is, these are people who have been trained and are hiring the best of the best to make mm. it addictive down to the color. Why is it blue? because we have decreased respiratory movement in blue light, right? So down to the very color choice of the app, everything is designed to make you spend more time. So just be aware that you are one person against a multi-billion dollar industry. Let's be honest about where we're coming at there. I can tell you just what I do and everybody is different. And I'm really, if you can't tell already, like I don't like saying one size fits all because we all have very different personalities. Um, But I'm always happy to share with people what I have found. And so something that I do, and again, I'm a Christian. So I don't get online if I haven't spent time with God, period. Mm. It's just a rule for myself. I am not allowed to check any notification if I have not gone to my Bible first. I think Mm. it is for me, if, if I believe this thing, and I see myself as a leader. I, I actually think we're all leaders because we all have spheres of influence. I am mm-hmm. a leader with my students. Mm-hmm. And so I just don't think it would be a responsible use of the leadership of what's in my hand that God has given me. Mm-hmm. If I'm showing up to my classes and teaching them and I haven't spent time with God, who I, if I really believe that that's the whole reason I'm even here, mm-hmm. but my life isn't reflecting what I believe. So my rule is you won't ever see me online if I haven't spent time with God. And then it helps me actually when I'm online to just be a better person, right? Because I've spent time first meditating and being in the word of God. And before I'm taking in all the voices of the world around me, I'm trying to hone in on what I believe the Holy spirit is calling me to that day. And so that's why it's easier for me then to put it in the drafts. Something I was going to say that like, "Mm, you probably shouldn't say that. I think it's easier for God to reach me when I've sought him intentionally first. Another thing I do personally is I take a social media fast of one day a week. I take a Sabbath from social media every single day. I mean, every single week. So for me from sundown, I follow the Jewish calendar. So from sundown on Friday night to sundown on Saturday night, I don't get on social media and it just, it's a fast for my system. And it reminds me that, oh, there's life outside of all of this which is important because it, as a content creator, it gets really easy, you know, to feel like I have to keep creating all the time. And I think a really important ministry for everybody is the ministry of absence Mm. is to realize that you are never God. You Mm. are nobody's savior. And Mm. it's important for even my students or whoever's following me to know the world will always keep moving without Heather. The point is not to point to Heather, but to point to right. Christ. And so the ministry of absence for me should be a part of all of our calendars. I agree. And it sounds like when you take that one day off, like you survive, nothing happens. Yeah. Right? You don't come back the next it's day. It's weird. Twitter exploded, you know. The and- world moves without me, right? <laughs> Who would have thought that, you know. Who would have known? Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like just creating those healthy habits, though, you know, just a little bit of boundary here and there. And I love what you're saying, kind of checking in or or being with God first, the analogy of like, if you're going to teach a class and not prepared at all, any content, right? right. And just kind of showing up. And that's sometimes how we live life is that 
one of my spiritual advisors will say, when Jesus kind of made this claim, you know, he says that man doesn't live by bread alone. You either believe that or you don't, right? So you're either going to be checking with God more than you eat. You know, if you're are you doing that three times a day, or are you eating more often? I'm like, oh, based on my, the scale, I'm eating much more than I am spending time with God, but I could change that. You know, so I, I love what you're saying there. And and one of the things I really wanted to ask you as well, you know, with this topic in terms of checking in at, with God just in your own time, but also being sensitive to sort of the nudging of the Holy Spirit that you mentioned here. Because one of the chapters that I loved is being able to move sort of on a maybe, right? It kind of makes yeah. what God is saying, this is kind of where I'm nudging you. Can you speak a little bit to that? How you balance ultimately whether something is your turn or not, right? It's not my turn to make this big move, but, you know, to be able to have the trust and faith in God to move, even if I don't have all the answers figured out. I am in my, it's funny you even said that because I was just in a walk with my husband and he reminded me of, we have to move on. Maybe I don't have a clear cut answer Mm. for what this looks like. I just know that in my life, I have asked the Holy spirit to open doors that should be opened and close doors that should be closed. That's a Mm. prayer. I pray almost every single day. Mm. And so if the door opens, I'm going to go through it. And then I say, God, if I'm not supposed to, I need you to send something as a sign that I'm not supposed to go through it. Mm. So, and, and that just looks like, it, like I said, like being faithful to what's in your hand. The, the example that I'm giving is when my husband and I were in Colorado, we thought we were going to be living there. There was a chance I might come back home and just because of some stuff with my family. And I look back now and I'm like, I'm really glad I bought a house there because we sold it. And that is how we, we made a lot of money off of it. And that's how I'm going to be able to buy a house where I am now. But I was mm. only in that house for one year. So if I had known that I was only going to be in a house for a year, I would have never bought a house. Probably if God had said, Heather, you are not going to be staying in Colorado. I would have said, oh, well then let me not buy a house and get into something that's going to make me stay. But because I said, I don't know what the future is. I just have to be faithful to what's in my hand. And right now I'm in Colorado. So I'm going to live as if I'm going to be in Colorado for the next five years. And I bought the perfect house at the perfect time in the market Mm -hmm. where then I could. So I see God's even though he knew I was leaving, I see how he led me to where I'm at right now. If that makes sense, you really just have to spend time with God and the Holy spirit. And I just think that that's a prayer. He's always going to say yes to. Mm. And that's what scripture says. Those times in scripture where it says, ask, and you will receive, he's talking about the spirit. So I just believe when you spend time saying, I'm asking you to dwell in me, I'm asking you to help me be faithful to what's in front of me. I think he respects that and honors that. And then pay attention to the doors that open and pay attention to the doors that close. Yeah, he's not he's not really hiding. Sounds like if we're if we seek him, we will find him. It seems like he oh, is. Oh, it's uh, so difficult because he he's oh, he's such a mystery, right? So like I'm in a season right now where I would say God has been more silent than he's hmm. been in past seasons of my life. So it almost feels like he is hiding. But I also know for sure he's here. Right. Right. And so how do you know that outside of being in tune with the Holy Spirit? Hmm. And he'll send people. This is another thing that I I have seen when you pray, God, send me somebody Mm. to confirm or send something that lets me know there's somebody else that's connected to the Holy spirit, probably within a few miles around you and he'll connect you. Right. He's been faithful for me on that. And so I invite people to just start living that way, asking God to get involved in your life and then giving the time. Right. I don't ever just say, well, I'm going to make this choice tomorrow. I will give things time and say, okay, God, I'm going to make this choice within a month. 
Hmm. And so I need you to either open the store or close the store and send some people to confirm it for me within this month. And I'm going to just wait. Hmm. I'm going to be still and wait on the Lord. And I have found him to be very faithful for that. Oh, it's, it really sounds like when you're faithful and you're waiting and you're present with him and knowing his presence, you know that he's going to be direct, right? And sometimes he's speaking to you through others. And sometimes you're yes. the one sort of, you know, speaking to others, you know, sort of sharing that message. I, I like there's a subsection that you put where you're talking about this kind of five second rule, you know, not the usual, like when you drop down on the floor and you can right. just eat it. But sometimes you get this sort of like impulse of like, oh, you think of a friend, like, oh, I should. Should I text them? No, I'll just go on Twitter, right? So like, can you speak a little bit to that of how sometimes those impulses can be sort of holy impulses or how God is sort of nudging you to do these things because it can be a way that, you know, he wants to sort of send a message to others as well. Yeah, I'm of the belief that if you are praying and if you are putting time and you're saying, God, I invite you. The first thing I say when my eyes open in the morning is, God, I give you this day and all that is in it. Help me to walk into your light. I say Mm. it every single day. As soon as my eyes open, Mm. God, I give you this day and all that is in it. Help me to walk into your light. I think that is me surrendering my free will and God shows up. Um, And so then when I get impulses, it's very difficult for me to not believe it's the Holy spirit, because there's been so many times at this point in my journey that he's confirmed it. And I'm telling you life changes when he starts confirming that people always say, how do you know it's God? At least for me, I've never heard God audibly. I'm not saying that people don't, I haven't, I have thoughts that seem like they're my own thoughts that will just drop into my head. And I'll I'll think that that was me. But then Mm -hmm. when I act on it, I realized that wasn't me at all. (laughs) That was Mm -hmm. the Holy spirit. And Mm -hmm. had I not acted on it, I would probably have gone through life and said, oh, that was just a weird thing that I thought. Mm. Can I give an example? Do we have a moment? Okay. And I think I wrote about this in the book, but it's just a really powerful example. So I was teaching a class one day and the second a student walked in my office, I had a thought in my head, give her the money that's in your wallet. This was at a secular school. And I said, if this is God, this is inappropriate. (laughs) I can't just hand money to students and talk about God to my secular. I can't do that. So I'm not doing it. Mm -hmm. And so class got out and the student left. And as soon as she walked out, I felt like the Holy spirit said, you keep asking me to give you big opportunities, but you're not faithful with small requests. Mm -hmm. And so I said, okay. So I start running around the parking lot, trying to find her. I couldn't find her. It was spring break. So I go to Mexico for a friend's wedding. I'm with my husband. We have a fantastic, I don't think of this girl or the money. I had $20 in my wallet, by the way, I did check. It was $20 cash. I didn't think of her one time in Mexico. I totally moved on. I get back to school a week later. And the second she walks in my office, I hear again, give her the money that's in your wallet. And Mm -hmm. I looked in my wallet and this time I had $40. God had doubled it. Right. And I said, okay, I'm going to be faithful and I'm just going to do this. And so after class, I said, could you stay back after class? She stayed back. I said, this is totally inappropriate. And I have never done this before in my entire life, but I am a Christian. And I felt like God told me to give you the money that's in my wallet. And I have $40 and I want you to know, this is not coming from your teacher. This is, this has nothing to do with me. This is between you and God. And for whatever reason, he has chosen me to give this to you. And so I hand her, I'm like mumbling, you know, handing her the money and she just starts sobbing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, You know what I mean? She starts sobbing Um, and, um, she says to me, 
before I walked in this class, this is a true story. And this is the story that changed my life with the Holy spirit where I said, I cannot ignore nudges mm. ever again. Cause I'm risking somebody else's prayer. Mm. She starts sobbing. And she says, before I walked in this class, I asked my friend if she had money for a box of diapers. This was an 18 year old girl. I had no idea that she had a kid. She said she didn't have any extra money. So I asked her if she could ask her dad. And we asked her dad if he had extra money. And he said he didn't. And then my friend said, can we pray? And I told her, I don't want to pray. I'm uncomfortable with prayer. I'm un- if God is real, he's never cared about me. This girl grew up in foster care and was molested even by her foster brother and then got put away. So now she's living in a shelter, 18 years old and has a six month old baby. I knew none of this. She says, before I walked in this class, I prayed for the first time in years. And I asked God for money for a box of diapers. And now here you are handing me $40. Oh my goodness. This student still is in my life to this day. I actually set her up with another student. I'm a matchmaker. So I do that too. Also probably inappropriate. I set her up with a student and they've been together for a few years. They have a baby together. Now her whole life is, we got her into housing. I can't even tell you the blessings God has given in this relationship, but it changed my life. Because I think when people say, I don't hear God, I don't believe that. I think God speaks to everybody. It's just, I think most of the time we say, well, that's not God. That's just me. And I'm just being weird. I think we all get moments where it's like, go talk to that person. And we're like, I can't do that. That's weird. They're going to think I'm weird. And so we don't. And I don't have the luxury anymore of not answering that still small voice of that nudge because Mm. of that moment with that student. And I could tell you at least probably five other unbelievable stories, just like that one, where once I acted on it, the Holy spirit revealed that it was the Holy spirit Mm. and you can't go back. So when people, so I just tell people when they're like, I don't hear the voice of God. I don't know why you have those experiences. I'm like, "Uh, I'm not special. I can promise you if you knew me, I was the first person to be expelled from my Christian school. Like I am not special, Hmm. but I did start responding to the voice of God and I did start pursuing him. And that's all I can say. Hmm. And so I invite everybody who already has this worldview to challenge God and say, I'm going to start pursuing you. And I'm asking you to start making yourself real to me. Speak to me. Give me ears to hear you. That's something else I pray all the time. Give me ears to hear Hmm. and eyes to see. And start living your life. And it's not going to be an instantaneous answer. And I hope that that's what people get also from my book. A relationship with God is a journey. Hmm. In an instantaneous culture, we think it's going to happen. right? Or even if it doesn't happen right away, I pray. And now, boom, like with Shatina, that doesn't usually happen, right? Right. That we pray and God answers. I had a student that came to my office and she said, I you don't understand. I have prayed and I have cried and I have tried and I don't feel anything. And I said, sweetie, how long have you prayed? And she said, three months. And I Mm. said, honey, if you came into my office every day at eight years old, and I drew a little line above your head on my wall in three months, would that line have moved? Mm. It takes six months for you to grow a single inch, right? A relationship with God is a journey. This is something that six months now, maybe 12 Mm. months, two years, three years, four years. When you read scripture, there's years in between people's prayer and the response. And so I just want people to know it doesn't mean it's not working Right. when we pray and there's not heavens don't part and angels aren't singing. It's normal. You're normal. Mm -hmm. And actually it's biblical 25 years. Abraham waits. Joseph waits like 13 years. Mm -hmm. 
in our culture of sort of instant gratification that everything is just happening yesterday, it's, it's a foreign concept, but it sounds to me that not only is it like normal and healthy to have the waiting, but even in that journey that sometimes God can show us incredible things along the way if we're just willing to take the heart-wrenching fear of being weird sometimes, which like is yeah. terrifying for all of us. But, but sometimes if we step out of that a little bit, God can do something amazing. And then next thing I just tell people, I'm a creepy Christian. I just say it. I'm like, listen, I'm a creepy Christian. We're going to go walk. We're going to walk and pray out loud right now. Just hang with me and let's see what happens. And I've just seen him show up. So for me at this point, I think this is what Paul means when he says, I'll be a fool for the gospel. Mm -hmm. At this point, I just don't have the luxury Mm -hmm. of not being the creepy Christian. I just went to lunch with somebody and said, can can we pray right now? She was Mm -hmm. nervous about asking for a raise. I said, let's just stop. And Mm -hmm. if you don't mind, ask them, not everybody wants your prayer, right? (laughs) And respect that. I respect it. But if you do, can I just pray with you right now? Instead of saying to people, I'll pray for you. How about Mm. you stop and say, can I pray with you? Can I pray Mm. right now? Mm. And we're going to go to the throne together and Mm. see what happens. I believe in prayer with all my heart because I've seen it and I can't go back. And I think we've, we've often find that we're surprised. We always think, or not we always, but we sometimes get fooled in thinking that everybody is rejecting the idea of prayer or everybody is like not open to it. But Nina, we thank you. Asked, right. We get surprised. This is even true of medical literature. I'll tell you others that they've asked, you know, taking polls of physicians. Would you, do you think your patient wants to be asked about spiritual background, spiritual history? 90 or so percent would be like, nah, no way. Then you ask the patients that like, no, we do. This is, we want our doctor to care about our spiritual life. We we'd even welcome a prayer. If a doctor, you know, wanted to pray for me before surgery, we have these assumptions that sometimes the problem is our own assumption, not in the person we're speaking. I'm so my sister is a practitioner and I've had these conversations with her where she always is like, God always shows up for you. And I said, Tasha, next time you feel that nudge respond Mm. to it. Mm. And she called me not a week later. And she was with a patient who had just had a horrible thing happen. And she felt the nudge asked, offer to pray. And she said, I don't want to do this, but we had just had a conversation a week before. And so she said, okay, I'm going to do it. And so she said, can I pray with you? The lady said, I would love that. She prayed with her. And then on the form, you know, how now when you leave a hospital, they fill out a form about customer service, which people don't like, but she filled on her form. Yeah. They, she wrote how one of the bright things of her Mm. visit was that my sister, her practitioner prayed for her. Wow. You know, and I'm just like, we constantly get these opportunities. Can I just add this to you? It's like yes, 80% of people because the church does a bad job at making it seem like there's us in the world and we have to protect right. ourselves from right. them. 82% of people believe in a higher power. Mm. So yeah, we may disagree about who that higher power is, mm-hmm. but 82% of people believe that there's a higher power. Actually, it's like 80 something percent of Christians say they'd go to church if somebody just invited them. Only 2% right. of Christians invite somebody to church in a given year, but we believe it. Right. It's the best thing that ever happened to us. We just don't tell anybody. Right. You know what I mean? I just think that God is waiting on a generation of people to start living this out and not just on the weekend from our mm-hmm. pew, the literature by the Barna group. I'm a writer for them. It's the largest evangelical research institution in the country. They talk about when we talk about my generation, young people, millennials, generation Z, what is your difficulty with the church? And one of the number one things they say is, I don't know what it has to do with my real life. Mm. And for me, I'm like, are you kidding me? It has, it's supposed to be your real life. Right. It's not your weekend life. I'm a teacher. Mm. 
I've taught in secular, I've taught for Purdue, I've taught in secular and Christian institutions. I'm always the same teacher, Mm. right? I will still come with the same love and attention and care for my students, no matter what setting I'm in. And it's been received. Mm. Even I will say this too, like atheists tend to be super respectful and responsive to just like the humanity in another person, at least from my experience, I'm sure that there's hateful people out there, but there are in Christianity as well. I have had students who will say, I am an atheist. I don't want you to pray with me, but you can pray for me. Wonderful. I'll do that. You know? So I, I love what you just said about, don't be afraid to just live out your faith in a natural, normal way through relationship with people where it can impact them. And that's part of the key, actually, for one of the reasons I was so eager to chat with you today, because I feel like so many friends of mine that are whatever different professions, whether they're teaching or in healthcare or engineering or whatever, that's always the burning question, right? Is like, do I, for me to make even a spiritual impact, is it just for me to go into ministry, right? Is it just for me to be right. a priest or a pastor or whatever? Or is there something that, like you said, I, I love what you said earlier, is that really God has ordained us to be where we are now, like, or anointed us. Like, this is a holy calling, even for us to be on this podcast today. I really feel that, you know, we hadn't really talked before today, but I feel like God is doing something in this generation of folks who are professionals and can be, you know, can show up to places in their own, you know, regular, not weird, just kind of loving right. in Christ-like way. And I think that could be transformation. And I think that that's exactly what this next generation needs. And I think this is the type of stuff the church needs to be focusing on. What does it look like to live out our faith mm-hmm. in our real lives? And you can walk into my mechanic shop and see how they do it, right? It looks like being people of integrity. It looks mm-hmm. like being people of compassion. It looks like caring. I mean, even if you don't get a chance to pray, like, can you just show somebody that you saw them? Mm-hmm. For me, that's knowing my students' names. I just tweeted about this today. How do we respond in a time where I I can't even imagine what you're dealing with, but in my office, it has been, this is a mental health crisis of what I'm experiencing on a campus, right? Mm -hmm. And so how do I respond? The issues feel so complex. They are way too big for me. I know I am no savior. I am not going to save every kid in my classroom. I know that, but what I can do is know their names. Mm. And so I've found that the Holy Spirit leads me when experiencing deep complexity to be very simple. Mm-hmm. Heather, what are the basic, simple things that you can do that sometimes we forget when mm-hmm. our, our system is overwhelmed with all the complexity? Right. Right. For me, I said to my students on day three, I have 40 students in the one class I'm going to teach today. I'm going to know your names. And when you come to my class, you're going to come to a class where I greet you by name. And I just said, I'm not great with names, but the Holy Spirit's going to help me. And I prayed right there with, I said, God, give me the memory to Mm. know each one of these people's names. And I I know their names. And so when they don't come, I know their name Mm. and they know I care, right? It's a small thing, but when we're facing complex issues, what are the simple responses that we often forget in times of deep complexity? And how do you do that and live that out for other people? Right. I think those small things, I mean, I was reading something from Mother Teresa earlier where she was talking about there are, there really are no small things, right? It's like these small things with great love. And in, in our world today, because these things never happen, because nobody looks at you, nobody says your name, nobody acknowledges your humanity, those small things are incredibly powerful. So I can't thank you enough for like being able to walk us through some of this stuff today. And I, I actually, I would love to for us to be able to speak so much more. And I, I want people who are seeing this to, to connect with you more. How can they kind of learn more from you? How can they connect with you? 
Yeah. So I am most active on Twitter. You can go to Twitter and then type in Heather T as in Thompson, Heather T day, D A Y. My website is Heather Thompson day.com. And I'm also on Instagram at Heather Thompson day. Awesome. I'm just so grateful for both like the work that you're doing, the faithful example that you are. I love your book. I love the teaching that you're bringing here. And I, I really appreciate it. I just appreciate you coming on to today to speak with us. An honor. Thank you so much for what you're doing. Thank you so much for checking out this episode. Please take a second to rate and review as this helps us reach more people. And until then, please don't forget to mind your health. See you soon.